are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty well. How are you, Tony? Good, good. So this is our first episode. Pretty excited. Yeah, I'm pretty excited myself. This is good times right here. I wonder if uh, people will be able to tell that we haven't got a clue what we're doing with this thing. <laughs> I think they have already thought that five seconds That's in. That's probably the case. It's, it's probably the case. abundantly clear. Yes. So we're talking about the church tonight. Yes, so, um, what what do we think? What what's a good definition for what the church is? What do you think? So I feel like the Christian answer has to be the body of Christ, the cliche that we throw around so much. But okay, it's it's clearly I think just unpacking that metaphor could be you know a whole conversation of itself. But it's it's a group of people committed disciples to Jesus Christ. I think of two sides of a coin, like orthodoxy right thinking and orthopraxy, right living. So to me, it's some combination of this messy group of people trying to think right about God and live faithfully for him together. And yeah, that's a, good, that's a good definition. So um, I think, you know, when you talk about the word ecclesia, um, you know, it, it means like the called out ones or the ones that are gathered together. And then you think about sort of the, the Latinized word church, which is related to the word curios for Lord. And it's those who are called out by the Lord or are owned by the Lord. Um, and so, you know, we have like the, the sort of spiritual universal church, which is all of the believers across all time um, unified as in their union with Christ. They're also unified with each other. And then we have kind of local examples or instances of those that we call the visible church. So we have one, one group of believers here. We have one group of believers there and, and those group of believers are a mixed body. So there's probably going to be uh, some places where you have people in the, the visible church that aren't Christians. Um, you have some places where there are Christians who aren't in the visible church. Um, but universally the, the church as a whole is this kind of invisible body of believers who are called out, um, set apart by the Lord, and who are owned and and are servants to that Lord. I appreciate you throwing out the Greek and the Latin like 30 seconds in. I try. I do try. (laughs) That's what I'm talking um, about. So you and I come from very different backgrounds as far as our kind of experience of the church goes. Um, so I, I can kind of start here. Um, I, I didn't grow up in the church and that really shaped kind of my view of the church. So when I was very little, um, maybe like six or seven years old, my family brought me to church. Um, and I was part of Sunday school. And I remember, I remember real distinctly, like one day when, when the teacher asked like how Jesus died and I knew that he was on a cross, but I didn't really know what that meant. And I said, he got, they, they must've put the cross on like a train tracks and then he got hit with a train. And I didn't understand. And then for whatever reason, and then there's a lot of different reasons, but we stopped going to church until um, I was like 15 and I went to youth group with um, some friends of mine. And so I didn't, I didn't really know or feel like the church was a a thing that I was a part of. Um, And then even when I started church, um, when I was 15, um, got saved, you know, went to one of those youth rallies, gave my life to Jesus. And, um, I was in this big mega church where we had a really like uh, developed youth group. There was like 500 people in the youth group, which is, you know, like five times larger than your average church in America. And for me, that was church. And so all through high school and even like college, um, I, I was going to church on Sunday mornings, but between youth group and then being a leader for youth group, 
um, that was church. That was kind of what I went to. So this idea that the church is a spiritual body of all believers was really solid to me. But this idea that the church was also this kind of local gathering of Christians that regularly gathered together to hear the word preached and to participate in the Lord's Supper, to celebrate baptisms when appropriate, um, that wasn't really something for me that that really clicked or made any sense until I was you know much older. Even into seminary, I didn't really get it. Um, you know, going through college, I went to a Christian college. And I stopped going to church on Sundays because I figured I live with a bunch of Christians and um, I go to chapel every Wednesday and I go to Vespers every Sunday and we even have communion once in a while. Um, And I didn't really understand that what was going on at my college was not a replacement for the church. So what was it about like your upbringing in particular that kind of lent you to come back to the church or to think about it in different ways? Well, I actually, um, I, I was tricked into going to church by a friend of mine. Um, he, he told me that he needed someone to ride his bike with to uh, this gathering where they were going to play soccer. And so I was like, I like soccer and I want to help my buddy out. So we drove. And when I got there, there was literally this moment where I was like, wait a second, this is a church. And I was like, maybe we're just using the, like the, the field to play soccer. But no, he completely tricked me. Um, and then of course there was a girl and I followed this girl back to church and, um, you know, I was a 15 year old boy and I was really interested in girls all of a sudden. And so I, I followed this girl there. Um, and then I, I wanted to get confirmed cause I thought that would really impress this girl. And then, um, part of the requirements for the confirmation program was that you had to attend, um, you had to attend a certain number of camps or rallies or events. They wanted you to participate in these kind of like big events And so I went to acquire the fire uh, with my group and I actually stood up to dedicate my life to Jesus because I thought I was going to impress this girl by doing that. Um, And it wasn't until like maybe like a week later that I I found that like all of a sudden the language that I was used to using was suddenly like offensive to me. And um, I had this desire to like read my Bible and was interested in spiritual things. Um, And then that was really impressed with this, this feeling that, God was kind of communicating to me, not in like a mystical sort of like charismatic way, but God was just impressing on me that I had made a commitment to him and that he was expecting me to follow through on it and that he was going to make sure that I followed through on it. It wasn't really up to me at that point anymore. Um, And so that was really kind of how I got back into the church. It wasn't anything really in my family. Um, To this day, my mother still is not a a church attender. Um, She, you know, she'll go to church when I'm there. If I ask her to, she'll every once in a while, she'll, um, go on, you know, around the holidays or something, she'll find her way into the church. But for the most part, she's a, you know, she's not a spiritual person at all. What I got from that is the interesting evangelistic technique of the take my bicycle bait and switch tactic. Yes. Yes. It was very effective. And actually I know quite a few people who um, came to faith through one way or another of kind of being like tricked into the kingdom by, saying like, hey, come to this cool camp. We just have a lot of fun and play a lot of games. Oh, yeah, and we do Bible study in the morning, but that's no big deal. Um, I know quite a few people who've, who've come to faith. Um, not that I'm advocating that as a normal practice, but um, God does use all means to, to pe- bring people into his kingdom. Yeah, no doubt. And what I just was thinking about hearing that that I really hadn't considered before is God's using his sovereignty, using the church in a way through his sovereignty. Like you just said, interesting that, you came to the church for different motives, but then God 
kind of use those in of themselves in a way to bring about some regeneration in your own life through being present in the church with the body of believers and the community yeah, that you made there. That's really interesting. Yeah. And when I look back to like the fact that I even, you know, after I gave my life to Jesus at this conference and people, you know, people make fun of acquire the fire because it is completely like emotionalism and hype. It's, it's straight, it's like straight out of Finney's playbook of, you know, the sinner seed and make them feel really guilty and then swell the music and all the tricks. How many um, altar and calls it, it worked like a, it worked like a charm. I mean, and I know a lot of people who went down and, you know, knelt on the floor and, and aren't following Jesus. So it's not, it's not like there's anything in that method that's, that's somehow spiritually effective. It's just the means that God used. But, um, after the fact, when I started to recognize that I was sort of disgusted with my sin, when I was disgusted with the language I was using and the way that I was thinking about girls and the way that I was um, treating my parents and even like the fact that I didn't do my homework and I felt a little guilty because I told my teacher I did, um, the fact that I knew and had any inclination of what that meant was really only because I had been active in this confirmation group for a couple months before and had been reading the scriptures and started to understand what sin was and what conviction was and all of those things. And I had, I had someone I could go to, to say, I don't understand what's happening. Um, I I'm feeling these, these sort of guilty feelings that I've never had before. And I went to the, the youth pastor and he said, well, that's, that's the Holy Spirit's conviction. Um, so it really was, you know, the ordinary means of grace of God's, presence amongst his people and the uh, the preaching of his word and the power of the scripture as the Holy Spirit kind of impresses it on us. Um, these other kind of external elements were very important in my personal, you know, conversion story, but um, it really was kind of the, the, um, the word and, and to a lesser degree for me, kind of the sacraments or ordinances, uh, but those played a role too. I mean, I remember I remember going to camp a couple, you know, a couple months later and really for the first time sitting there going, I want to take communion. I don't, I don't really understand it, but I, I want to participate in this thing that I can, I can tell already is really important to the Christian faith. Um, but yeah, it absolutely was the scriptures and the, the means of grace that, that helped me understand what God was doing in my life and what he was doing them through. And I think what you said there is spot on because I think we often or sometimes have a tendency to forget that God has saved us to community and that the means of grace are wonderfully effective in that community of grace. So, so much of how God shapes us, informs us, and brings about conviction is really done in the body of believers. It certainly can happen privately, but corporately there's something special about the way in which he works kind of the community hermeneutic and exactly what you're saying. It's just interesting that the Lord would use that as a means to bring about conviction and growth. And I think, you know, all too often we, we think we want to be good listeners of the sermon. We want to sing a couple of songs with people. We're encouraged by being with others who are like-minded or by singing the music together. But it's definitely so much more than that. Yeah. So what about you? What, what's your background and how does that uh, inform how you understand the church now? We have wonderfully different backgrounds. Yes. Which is great for this conversation. Like, so like, I don't know if they can be, maybe they're more opposite. Can they be more opposite than this? I don't think they can. I don't think it's they a little, could. It's a little strange, I think. Um, so my background, and this, there's like great irony in all of this because our stories intertwine in strange ways, like across yes, time they do. because of this. So 
I, my father's a pastor and he continues to be. And so I grew up in the church, which is, of course, what anybody who's related to a person in vocational ministry says. But for me, the growing up in the church was is particularly important because not only was I involved in like the life of the church, which is generally what we need in the activities, but I actually grew up in the same building as where the church was. So this, you know, old like 1800s building that was formerly a small school library, three floors, first floor is a sanctuary, second floor was split between Sunday school rooms and part of the parsonage and the third floor was all the parsonage. So my understanding of the church was always kind of this nebulous concept. Like, I don't know, have you ever been like, you've been in a church building, like, I don't know, when nobody's there, like in a sanctuary and it just has that like sense, like that kind of like holy like the ark is about to show up like behind the pulpit kind of sense. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do because I actually happen to know the building you're talking about intimately and I'm in that sanctuary frequently. (laughs) So that's what's great about this is now you live in the same building that I grew up in. Yes. And you are intimately familiar with all this stuff. So this is why this is fantastic. So that experience, which I'm sure like every – even nominal Christian has had where you, you walk into an empty sanctuary and there's grand space or high ceilings or, or whatever. And there's kind of this like little aura about it. That for me is like very much diminished because to me, the church was an extension of the place in which I like actually lived. So what's odd is in terms of like that spillover, that blurring of lines, it wasn't so much that I thought that the church was my home, like the sanctuary is my personal playground, so much as I just felt that the place in which we live, where we actually ate our meals and slept, all of that was in some way shared in a more communal sense with the actual people of God, that it, it belonged to God, that it was leased to us by His good measure, and that it was meant for service. So it was a wonderful experience. I think it's probably strange because we still use the sanctuary for like non-sanctuary things in my family. Yeah. Like for instance, like prior to this day, like if you wanted some privacy because the parsonage was, you know, somewhat small, but adequately spaced for us, there were six people in my family. Like you go down to the sanctuary and just hang out, pulpit, pews, you're just <laughs> chilling. Like I called my wife when she wasn't my wife for the very first time from the sanctuary. So nice. I have a memory of just like, you know, sitting in the pew chatting, having casual conversation with her. So it's just a weird experience. So the church has always been a part of me and I've always felt this kind of sense of solidarity with a true understanding that just like your family, it's almost as if God chooses the church, the local body for you in a sense. And there's always going to be people with whom you disagree or have different personality perspectives but it's a bit like your family in that you got to work through it. Like you're committed to them for the long haul. And, and that means raking leaves. And sometimes it means praying with somebody. Sometimes it means visitation or bringing a meal. Sometimes it means just hanging out and having a good time. It's all those things. But I do love that my background made it intensely practical because we were just present in people's lives. And our very living environment definitely definitely spoke to that. So I mean, you feel some of that now with being that you live where I grew up. Yeah, I do. So, so our, our listeners probably have no idea who either of us are. So, uh, what we're alluding to is I'm, I'm married to Jesse's little sister and, um, my wife Ashley is now on staff, uh, with her father at the church that Jesse is talking about. And I now live in the parsonage that Jesse grew up in. So, um, my wife is actually in the other room sleeping. Well, probably not sleeping cause I'm pretty loud, but trying to sleep, 
um, in the room that her parents lived in as their bedroom when they were growing up, which isn't weird, not even a little bit. Um, so yeah, I, I do. Um, you know, it's funny because when, when I take, we've got this new Westie that everybody loves, but she's just a bundle of way too much energy sometimes. And one of her favorite treats, um, to do is if she goes outside and she goes to the bathroom the way she's supposed to, and I can be confident she's not going to have an accident. When I bring her in, I take her into the sanctuary and I let her run because it's the biggest, it's the biggest single room in the building. Um, you know, we can let her run up and down the halls a little bit, but she's still little. She, she can fall down the stairs, but she loves to run in that sanctuary. And so there is kind of this demystified, um, which for me has been really helpful because I remember when I was, you know, when I first came into the church, um, we did like this lock-in and I remember like we went to the sanctuary and we played games in the sanctuary and I was like, Whoa, wait a second here. This is, this is the sanctuary. It's called the sanctuary. You can't play games in the sanctuary. <laughs> and, um, you know, now, now that's just a room. And, and it's for me, like, you know, it's, it's funny because your mom, my, my mother-in-law, who is also my mom, um, she's very quick to tell us like, make sure you keep the heat down, make sure you turn the lights off, which is something that I just, I always forget to do because growing up, that wasn't something that was important to us, but you know, we're always being told and rightfully so that like, this is the church's, this is God's money that he's provided for the church to pay the bills. And so we should do our part by, instead of turning on the heat, um, which isn't existent in the third floor, but instead of turning on the heat, you put on another sweater or you grab a blanket, um, you know, or instead of, um, you know, um, turning on the air conditioner, you just drink another glass of water or something to cool yourself off, take a cool shower. Um, so, you know, even things like making sure you're only doing laundries on the weekend. So, so there's a, there's a connectedness to the life of the church, um, which even for us goes down to like our, some of our financial considerations about, our own stewardship of things that the church pays for on our behalf um, that I, I don't didn't ever experience before. Uh, but yeah, there, as far as the building goes, it is a very kind of demystifying experience. And I think it's really good. Um, you know, I know when I have like a paper that I'm working on, I go to one of the Sunday school rooms and I spread all my books out <laughs> because I, I don't have anywhere in the parsonage that's like, that. I love that. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's, at one level, that room is an extension. The church, the church part of the building, as opposed to the parsonage, is an extension of our home. But at the same time, there are times where our home becomes an extension of the church parsonage or of the church building. And I know that growing up, you experienced that. And even when I first, you know, started coming to this church when I was dating Ashley, um, I remember we would come upstairs and sit in the living room of the family, the family living room, uh, to do Bible study for the whole church, and the whole church would come and sit in the living room. Um, and so little things like that, I think, you know, have really shaped and changed the way I think about the church. Yeah, it's been for me that exactly what you described has been all about not only like just demystifying the sense of a physical space that, that God is supposed to be where he's more holy or his presence is more profound, but really reemphasizing for me all along this idea that because of God's indwelling spirit, that the new temple is the people. Uh, where they gather and wherever that can be. So it was this kind of like blue collar sense of, of church and the building had so much less to do about it, which I think was like gloriously irreligious, if I could say it that way. Like, yeah. I think one time my brother and I, like we played hockey and stuff in the sanctuary. Uh, we, I, we've done all kinds of stuff like in all those yeah. rooms, but we've used them, I think in ways I'd like to say, bring glory to, to God. Like we've enjoyed that space. 
as a family, yeah. as you know, the, the local body there doing all kinds of um, crazy things. So it's been great. So these, this idea, like at the same time, like I do, I've often struggled with this sense of, you know, like if you go to Europe, you see these grand cathedrals, and I do appreciate that in that culture where monarchy was so well established for so many years, when it came to saying, let's build a place for the people to gather, they're very concerned that they had a heavenly king and he should be given the kind of treatment in the architecture that would be equivalent or greater than their earthly royalty. So I appreciate that at the same time, um, but it's that just wasn't my experience. Mine was just totally different, just more down to earth. Yeah. So let, let's talk about the people a little bit, because I, I suspect um, and knowing knowing a lot of the people that were, you know, part of your church experience for a really long time. Um, I suspect that our experience of the people of God was also very different. So for me, um, you know, like I said, my primary interface with the church in my really formative years was either through being a part of the youth group. Um, so you've got 500 teenagers um, and maybe a hundred, maybe maybe 75 leaders, adults. Um, that was my primary church experience. Um, and then, you know, Sunday mornings, I would go to like Sunday school where there was like 50 kids and uh, like a teacher. And then I would kind of go and sit in the back and sort of chat with my friends during the service. And that was kind of my experience of the people of God. And then when I got a little bit older, um, you know, the people at church, I would see them once a week. And, I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't the guy who was living like a radically different life outside of church um, that I would be in church. I was, I was pretty much what you see is what you get um, for better or worse. There was, you know, there wasn't an air of holiness about me at church. I wasn't hiding who I was at church, but that also meant I kind of came to the people of God with all my, my spots and stains. Um, I didn't put on, you know, a, a nice smile when I came to church, if I was having a bad day or if I was struggling with a particular sin, like people at church knew it just as much. Um, but there were those, they were those people over there. And I went to church a few towns over from uh, where I went to school. So even in, in like youth group, there was only like two or three kids that I knew at school that were also part of the youth group in my church. So I lived a life as a, a young Christian, both young in age and young in, you know, in years of being a Christian, where I was very disconnected from the people of God. Um, they were kind of that group over there that I knew I was sort of connected with in some way, but I didn't have a real concrete connection with them. So, so how did, how did your experience kind of of the people of God differ from that? I mean, obviously they were around and they were in your home in many ways, but did you feel more connected to them on a personal level than, than you would imagine others do? One of the interesting things for me about the church that plays into so many other factors about how you relate and essentially the types of ministry and the way you get involved and serve with one another is, of course, size. Like Size matters in churches, and it's such a strange thing. And, and I'm not going to say that you know mega churches or small churches provide less of a godly experience or are more or less fruitful my experience, I've had experiences in both, but the church of which you guys attend and serve now and that I grew up is very small. I mean, say less than 50 all of my life. And so the demographic was predominantly older. So when I grew up, there was no like youth group per se to speak of. So it was you know, mainly me and my siblings. And uh, I can't remember a time where I wasn't basically in Sunday school with all of them or most of them. And we were the majority of the class. <laughs> so 
we were always, we have a somewhat of a big family. Like I have three siblings. And so we were always serving through music or drama or in other ways. Sometimes it felt like we were the Von Traps without the Nazis. Like it was great times. I really, <laughs> I really enjoyed that. And it still continues to be that way. It's always good yes. to come back and reunite and be with the family and serve the Lord together. So I think by default, because of the size, it did feel like it was a very intimate environment. And so most of times of, and even that was reflected like in the service, like as my father brought an order to service to bear each Sunday, and I think this still exists, it was a time of like prayer. And, you know, people would just kind of voice very casually, but also very intimately their concerns to the congregation, which wasn't large, but it was very corporate. And sometimes that stuff only happens like at a prayer meeting or in one or twos or in kind of side conversations. But here it was just all put out in the open because, and it was very easy to do that because it was so small. So I actually went, obviously grew up there and then went to a large church of 5,000 and it was totally different. And I, I, I think there were great values in both of them, but I would say that for the most part, it was, yeah, very intimate ex- experience. And I think in many ways, that's what drives you know, my wife and I are still very connected to that home church. We still love the people dearly, still want to be involved in their lives and still want to support what's going on there. I don't think just because my father's the pastor there still, but because we have a history, like it's a long traveled road. And I would say it's probably fair in most evangelical circles to say it was more like a very close, small group than what you might define like a traditional church, just in terms of the size. Yeah, that's something that, um, you know, being here, you know, Ashley and I have been back for like a year and a half now. And one of the things that, you know, I think is really unique about the church we're in now um, is for the most part, everybody comes to everything. Like every event, every person in the church is at with a few exceptions um, when people are traveling or, you know, there's there's a couple people who have like recurring uh, commitments that happen on the same night that we do prayer meetings. So they're not able to attend. But when we do like an outreach event, we do the summer carnival and literally every single person in the church comes and is active and, and committed to that. And when we have Bible study, every person in the church comes to Bible study. And that was just so different um, than my experience, you know, when I first became a Christian, because you know, the, it's funny because the old, the rule is, you know, what is it? 90% of the work is done by 10% of the people. Right. Um, and that seems to bear out in most churches is that you have kind of this group of people and, and it's about 10% of the whole church. And they're the ones that are always at prayer meeting. They're the ones that are, you know, doing the worship band and the, the, they fill in for the pastor when he's gone and the elders are in that group. And where we are now, if one person can't make it to an event we're doing to an outreach event, we have to like radically rechange and reshape how that event works. So we do this carnival in the summer and we advertise a certain number of booths to the town that we're going to have a certain number of booths. And if we have one person not show up, then we have to kind of break our commitment on those booths or we have to figure out how do we run seven booths with only six people. And for me, that's really kind of emphasized um, that, you know, we talked about at the beginning, you talked about the, the metaphor that Paul uses, which I'm actually, I actually think is probably more than a metaphor. It's even stronger than a metaphor, whatever that would be. Um, it, the body, the, the church really is a body. It really is a functioning organism um, in a real way, more than just a metaphor 
um, kind of sense. And, you know, here uh, at, at New Hope Community Church, it's it's really like that is is if one person is missing, we really feel it. Um, and so, I mean, I think the mega church model has its strengths. But I remember that was one of the things that was really difficult for me is when I, I got done with college and I realized, all right, I'm, I'm not living with Christians anymore. I'm not going to chapel on Wednesdays. I'm not going to Vespers on Sunday. I need to get back into a church. I went back to my mega church. And even the people that I was close to when I was there regularly in, in high school and early college, they, they didn't seem to care that I was back. So even the people that I was close to previously, I didn't really feel like they missed me. And it's not, it's not like I was like, oh, nobody misses me here. Nobody, nobody cares about me. I'm going somewhere else. But it was, it was this sense that I'm not needed here. I'm not a part of this body, and this body is just fine without me. And so I ended up going to a church plant that had a much greater need, but also I felt like I was part of the body um, in a way that, you know, I, I wasn't – I wasn't the most important person. That's not what it's about. But you couldn't just chop me off and not have any impact on the body at all. So I think there's got to be there's a balance somewhere in there, too, where like a certain certain size of church, it gets so big that the way that Paul describes the church um, where every member is is contributing and every member is is essential to what that church is. Um, after a certain size, it, you can't describe it that way anymore. Um, and so I think there is kind of a, maybe an upward limit, but, um, that was, I mean, like I said, it's a very different experience now being part of a small church. And I actually prefer being part of a small church. You know, it has its challenges. Um, we don't have, we don't have a budget really. We don't have, you know, there's not money to go around other than to just pay the bills and to, um, take care of the basic stuff. Every time we do an event, we have to scrape together money. And we have to, have, you know, people have to increase their giving if we want to do something. We don't have a surplus. Um, we, by God's grace and his provision, by generous people outside of our, you know, local body, um, and then also generosity of people here, um, we're able to meet those budgets and we're able to make, make a, you know, make sufficient income to continue our church. Um, but I, I really enjoy being a part of a small church. I love that. Um, I know every single person in the church and not just like, oh, I recognize that person. And I think I probably remember their name, but I really know the people in our church. Um, and for me, that's just something I would never, I would never sacrifice voluntarily. There's definitely something to be said for the fact that my experience in like larger churches seems like there's just a great, I think it's just a statement of fact, honestly, there's a greater propensity for nominal Christianity to remain there and to be comfortable there. So I'm really down with what you said because in some ways I think this small church environment is more difficult because there's just a greater sense of accountability. And you are needed because you need bodies to serve effectively. And when I went to a large church, basically they tried to create the small church model within the large church, of course, to make sure that people felt connected. And they were continually emphasizing getting people connected because they knew that if they didn't at least sense that there was somebody who remembered that they weren't there or knew their name, they were just prone to leave. So it, you're right. They both have their challenges. I think, I think everybody should try the small church, like shout out to all the small church people because yeah. it's yeah, just it's an funny. interesting road. It's funny because I, you know, I'm in, I'm in this Facebook group, um, the reform pub and you know, there's like 12,000, 15,000 people. I think we, I think they just crossed 13,000 people. 
And it's funny because every once in a while, somebody will will make a comment about like how hard it is to be a part of a small church. And, you know, I watch and, you know, I'll say like, well, how many people are in your church? And like, oh, man, it's so tiny. We've got like 75 <laughs> people. And I'm like, you guys, you don't even know what it's like to be part of a small no church at idea. that point. Um, you know, and it's, it's just funny and then not to like knock on their experience. And I'm sure that their church has challenges because of their size, but it it is really funny to, to think about that. And, you know, part of that is I, I grew up in the Midwest. So there's another way that our stories are very different is I grew up in the Midwest where, um, particularly Lutheran churches were very common. Um, it was kind of a civic, civic religion for a lot of people. And, um, so there were lots of like relatively large churches, um, even even large, like good, solid evangelical churches. Um, and then, of course, there was the large mainline churches that, you know, are full of people who don't believe in the deity of Christ. And, and I, I wouldn't even say are Christians. Um, but then you move out, to, you know, I move out to New England for seminary. And I went to a relatively large church for a New England church when I was in, in seminary. And I think there was like maybe 100 people. Um, you know, um, we were at a church in Connecticut where it was pretty big and there was like 75 people. Um, and just my concept of what a small and a big church was completely changed like radically when I moved out to, um, to new England. Should we just start another podcast that's called small church? You think, you know, but you have no idea. There you go. And every week we just, we just say like, all right, you think you've got a small church? We just found a church that has three people in it. So you don't know. You don't even know. That's the you whole have thing. no idea. That seems like a reality show that somebody's going to steal from us. It is bound to happen. So um, to happen. I think probably we can. We probably should wrap up a little bit tonight. Um, so uh, we will in the future have ways that you can get a hold of us. But right now, because we are completely amateurs, I don't have any of that information in front of me. So um, you can check us out uh, on the website. If you found us, then tell someone else about us because. Nobody can find us, um, but you apparently did. But uh, we're going to try to just get together and do some chats every week, and um, hopefully you are edified by our silliness and our stories, um, and you will probably learn some insider language as we go through this because uh, this family that we are a part of uh, it has all <laughs> sorts of inside terms and languages uh, that are hopefully working their way out into the wide world of, of Christianity. So any, any closing thoughts before we wrap it up? No, it's as always good to have some conversation with you. I love this idea because I think the conversations we're having kind of encapsulate in a, in a broader sense, the fact that we're brothers on a bunch of different levels. So yeah, I, I love that. And hopefully yeah, people can appreciate that we have like this weird tangled past and present. We do. Yeah. It's, and it's glorious. It is glorious. Like you, you, honestly, you can't make this up. Like I really wish people could just read the whole thing. Cause I think it would not necessarily make more sense, but it would all be right in front of them. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, we will uh, talk to everybody next week. <laughs>